ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Welcome in to the Monday edition of the Great Scott Show. What's happening, everybody? How are you? Coming at you after a, um, say, you know, not the busiest weekend of sports compared to the previous weeks. Couple, last couple weeks have just been, just been wild, crazy. But we did have the Heisman. We did have a Poirier title fight. We did have Westgate winning the state championship and other state championship games. We did have week 14 of the NFL. We did have a Saints win. I, I told you they were going to finally snap a five-game losing streak because, I mean, you know, the Jets, guys, the Jets. It's bowl week for many schools, including Louisiana's Raging Cajuns, New Orleans Bowl Week. Early signing day is in two days. Louisiana football coach Michael Desermo will join me at 7.15. We'll have open phone lines after that. A lot to get into. A lot to get into. But can we just can we just state something that's quite obvious to me and to anyone else who watched any of that game yesterday? I, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't seen the Jacksonville Jaguars play this year. I haven't. Um, maybe they've been on national television twice, maybe a Thursday night game and an early London game. Didn't watch either of them. So I, I guess they're the worst team in the league, but I don't understand. I, after watching that game yesterday, I don't see how there's a worse team than the New York Jets. I really don't. That Jets team was awful. Just awful. I don't care. If you're a Saints fan, you shouldn't care. If you're the Saints, you shouldn't care. You went on the road. You got to win your first win since October. I mean, it's 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 been bad. It's been rough. Longest losing streak of the Peyton era. Snapped it. And yeah, a lot of the points came late. 17 points came in the fourth quarter. Who cares? You beat a hapless Jets team, the one that happens to have the league's worst defense. You fool many Saints fans into thinking you still can make a run at the playoffs. Wait until next Sunday, guys. But you get a win. You want to to know how much the seven seed keeps fans' playoff hopes alive? The New York Jets were not officially eliminated from playoff contention until yesterday at 3 o'clock when the the clock struck zero. In watching that game, they were showing Saints fans in the stands of the CBS broadcast, Saints fans wearing Drew Brees jerseys or Cam Jordan jerseys or Michael Thomas jerseys. 
or 22 jerseys that probably on the back said Ingram and not Gardner Johnson. No, no disrespect to CJGJ, but you know, Ingram used to wear 22 and he's been around longer. And you're looking out and, and you're seeing these jerseys. You're like, that's not the Saints team. It's not what they're working with now. Now, two of those, three of those guys are still on the team. Two of them didn't play yesterday because of COVID-19 and the other's not going to play at all this year. Michael Thomas. But you have to adapt in the Saints' offensive identity while it isn't pretty and is not aesthetically pleasing to the eye when you're losing. When you're winning, that'll do. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Like, did you did you walk away from that game saying all the things that have plagued the Saints in their, during their five-game losing streak, they were <laughs> excuse me, they were all just wiped away. It was all good, clean football. No. No. You know, the wound is a bit too big. It's like a gash that like goes down from your knee to your foot and you put a band-aid on it because it was the Jets. You win next Sunday, you put a much bigger bandage on it. But play some ugly football. For those of you that have watched the Saints only since 2006, it's pretty hard for you to watch the Saints offense. And maybe, maybe you know, I, I'd say it's hard at times for anyone. But do it against the right teams, and you're going to win. 44 rushes, 21 passes. I would say it should have been 50 passes. Um, excuse me, 50 runs and 15 passes. The Saints don't have a legit one or two wide receiver on the roster, let's be honest. They're not suddenly going to get one that comes out of nowhere. The Saints don't have a, a quarterback back there that's accurate and going to sling it all over the place, even with a, 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 a good middle finger. But he doesn't even have that. He has a mallet finger. You fall behind in a game, it's not like you want Taysom slinging it all over the place. It's a close game? Well, run, run. The team got off the field with a 30-9 to win, and apparently a drunk Jersey native in a Saints jersey, New Jersey native wearing a Saints jersey, ran out onto the field, and a security tackled him into DeMario Davis's knee. Why wouldn't that have just been the ultimate dump on top of a nice ice cream sundae if he had gotten hurt? If your best player gets hurt because of some crazy fan, fortunately, DeMario Davis was okay. He and Quan Alexander were great yesterday. Zach Wilson is, oh, man. I mean, I haven't seen receivers this year play as bad. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was possible to see receivers play as badly as I've seen in some Saints games this year, but I saw it yesterday. I saw drops, and I saw Zach Wilson. I mean, that guy, oof, about as accurate as my man Brian Kelly's dance moves. Hey, shout out to LSU head coach Brian Kelly, who's getting slaughtered by the internet for appearing in Walker Howard's recruiting video. And everybody just needs to lighten up. Okay? Just lighten up. One, wish Walker nothing but the best. He's an incredible athlete, a great kid. He's a great player. And I hope he does well at LSU. Two, 
You're making fun of Brian Kelly. He's sitting there with a five-star recruit and a quarterback. Three, Brian Kelly's dance moves are horrendous. They make Mark Madsen look like he would be Usher in his prime. Four, can't you just laugh about it? I mean, good Lord, we share this, we make jokes, and, and, and all the comments, it turns into some palaver about, oh, UL and LSU and this and that. Just, 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 it's just, it's funny. It's okay. It's, it's a little uncomfortable, the dance moves. We can laugh about it. It doesn't have to become some bigger thing about the state of a program, about some person's character or what they're thinking. Like, everybody just, everybody... Take a breath and just relax. All right? Laugh. It's funny. Getting back to the Saints. So it worked yesterday. 44 rushes, 21 passes. They didn't turn the ball over. Next Sunday, they play the Bucks, who... Probably should have blown that game to Buffalo. Some of the officiating decisions. That's not even per me. That's per Terry McCauley, a former head of NFL officiating, talking about some of the atrocious decisions by that crew late in that game that the Bills should have won in overtime. But the Bills can pass it. They don't run it much. The Bucks secondary isn't great. Their run defense is elite. What do the Saints want to do? They want to run. What do they not do great currently with this offense as it's constructed? Throw the football. What are they going to need to do against Tampa? Throw the football. Having Kamara back obviously is, is a game changer. The guy's just an incredible talent. And he's a, he's a superstar, and he reminded everybody as much yesterday. But against the Bucks, I mean, you you could try that formula against Atlanta or Carolina or Miami or some of the other things on the schedule, and it 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 may it may work. May it's going to work against the Jets. The Jets are really bad. But against the Bucks, you're going to need some turnovers. You're going to need something in special teams. You're going to need something big plays. You're going to you're going to you're not going to be able to have the game plan you had yesterday. You're not. The Saints defense dominated a bad Jets team. New York's a bad team. They played like it. You'll get Cam Jordan, Mark Ingram back. But you're going to have to figure out... It, the game plan that you saw yesterday, that's, that might be what it looks like in week 16, 17, and 18. But in week 15, it can't be. It just, it can't. It can't. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. ESPN Lafayette now at 103.3 on the FM. Of course, you know we're 1420 on the AM. And streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. For those of you listening to us via the stream, whether it be in connected cars, smart speakers, wherever it is, that is brought to you by Champagne's Market in the Will Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. For those of you listening after the fact, on demand via the podcast, hello for me this morning, whatever time it may be for you right now.
Tell you what time it is over at UL. Bowl week time. NOLA Bowl this Saturday. Early signing day Wednesday. What's the last been, week been like for Louisiana head football coach Michael Desimo? We're going to ask him next as he joins me right here on the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hey, this is Rich Eisen, and you can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on the Rich Eisen Show. ESPN, ESPN. Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. New Orleans Bowl is this Saturday, number 16, Louisiana. Second to longest win streak in. Uh, the FCS, excuse me, the FBS taking on Marshall. There's also early signing day. As all of you know, they also have a new head coach, Michael Desimo. We talked to him last week. I know he's been doing kind of the, 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 the media circle over the last week. He's been preparing for a bowl game. He's got a lot going on. So with all of that, from the time I talked to you last week, Coach Michael Desimo, we welcome into the show now to now. How would you describe what the last week has been like for you, Coach? Um, it's been it's been good. First of all, you know, um, we have we have so many people around here that 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 work really hard at their jobs to to make everything go. So it's been good. Um, there's just been a lot of different things. It's been you know it's kind of you know your focus refocus. I guess if that makes any sense, you know. It's, all right, here's what's important right now. Here's what we got to work on. You know, these other things are on the back burner. And then uh, once you kind of complete that task, you just got to move on to the next one. So it's just been organizationally just trying to stay organized on what, what needs to be done next. Um, but, but it's been really good. It's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, but it's been really good. I, you know, you just made me think of something I want to ask you. Um, your, your, your introductory press conference that was open to, to, to the public last Monday you made a comment about, you know, uh, in this business, they say whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter when you get home. What matters is that your dad and you said, well, that's not true at our house. My kids let me know when we win or we lose. Right. Everyone had a good laugh. But I got to ask you, Coach, how do you like are you good at sort of flipping that switch? Like whenever, OK, I am home. I need to be present. Or do you always sort of have the switch, I guess, like it's a dimmer? Like, you're home and you're present, but you've still got football on the mind. Like, how do you do that balance when you have weeks like the last one has been like? You know, unfortunately, this week I probably probably haven't done a great job of flipping it off whenever I got home. Um, you know, I think once you settle into your routine of things and you really get it nailed down, mm-hmm. it's really important to be able to do that uh, to be able to turn it off and to be able to just be, you know, be the dad and be the husband when you're at home. Um, you know, my family's very understanding of it, but, you know, there's always room, you know, to get better at those things because that's really the most important thing um, in my life, no matter what, is always going to be my family and doing it right for them. So right now they're understanding, um, you know, that there's a lot of things going on that are that are after hours things. But, uh, you know, I think as, as, you know, as an assistant coach, I'd gotten a lot better 
okay, take care of everything at work. When we get home, it's time to be home. So I've just got to settle into figuring out the best way to do that, you know, in the seat that I'm in now. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there at some point. Sure. It's uh, obviously it's uh, it, in terms of what your routine will look like as a head coach. It's not this week. This week is uh, got just a couple of exceptions in regards to that. You know, Coach Billy Napier, um, your former head coach, would always talk about making sure guys had enough time to be with, you know, their family. But also from an organizational standpoint, you talk about routine. Coach Napier told me a year or so ago that you and at the time you and and, and Tim Legier were co-offense coordinators that you guys handled a large chunk of that organizational side of whether it be preparation, scheduling, or whatnot. And that's important, right, to keep the routine, as you put it. Can you elaborate a little bit on what that was and now what will that look like? Maybe who will handle that now that you are the head coach of Louisiana? Well, Tim's going to continue to handle that, uh, you know, and he'll do it on his own now. But Tim, Tim's done a, a fantastic job, you know, for a long time. But since I've been able to work with him here the last four years, he's done a great job, um, you know, very professional. Um, you know, he understands what needs to be done. The guy takes care of his business. You know, there's never uh, – you're never worried about that. You know, I think I think the biggest thing for us, which has been and continues to be, is meaningful time. Um, you know, you can stay up here, you know, you can stay up here as long as you want. And, and putting in just being present doesn't mean that you're doing work. And I think that's the thing that, you know, you try to schedule your day out every day. You try to make sure that you've got the important things, you know, at the top of the list. Um, you know, they say there's never enough time in the day to do everything, but there's always enough time to do the most important things. So, you know, you just every day it's you got to sit down and you got to map it out and plan it out. And Tim understands what's important here. Um, and I think the biggest the biggest thing for us is that you just got to make sure the time counts uh, because you know nobody wants to just sit in an office and just guard their desk all day. You know, whenever we're here, we're going to work really hard at it. But I want, I want everybody to be go home too. I want to go home too. You know, I mean, at night, I want to go see my kids. I like to see them in the morning. So, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to work when it's time to work and, and we're going to, we're going to get out of there. Cause I think the quality of life um, is, is really good, you know, here, obviously living in Lafayette, but I think we can make it where we've got a little bit more time than, than some other places and some other ways to do it. You talk about, you know, working while you're at work, making sure you're present, not just sitting in the office. I I, I doubt you even had time to move into the new office yet. Have, have you, or, or is that coming later? Well, so, you know, it's funny you say that. I wasn't going to at all. I was like, well, I was just going to wait until after this bowl game and be done with all that. And then they're like, well, you know, Coach Wingard, he goes, well, we got official visits this weekend. He goes, so you can't, you got to go. You got to move into that office. So, so, stayed up here. I was late one night up here trying to get stuff moved in. And the next day, Coach Wingeter came in and, all, and told me that I didn't have enough stuff moved in. So, we had to call in the big guns. Uh, Lindsay and the kids came over after school one day. And they hung up some stuff for me on the walls and moved some, some stuff for me. So, um, her and Coach, Coach Wingeter has, has some guys, you know, uh, Todd Noel and some guys in his office that helped her. So they, they moved me in while I was on the road recruiting. So when I came back, I had a, a move-in ready office. So that, that was kind of nice. Good stuff. Uh, Louisiana head football coach Michael Desimo is our guest right now. I'm going to ask you about the New Orleans Bowl in just a moment. But when a new head coach arrives, or in your case is promoted, it's normal for there to be a lot of stories about the person, 
Uh, there's been a lot about mm-hmm. Michael Desimo, the person this week. Um, I, you know, as busy as you are, I'm not sure you've had time to read any of them, but there's there's stuff in there about um, you know your playing days, whether it be UL, whether it be as you know little league, whether it be high school. Um, a lot about the injuries you played through. My question is, what is the most painful injury you've ever suffered, whether it be on or off the field? Well, you know, the, the ATV accident I was in was probably the scariest for sure. Um, you know, that was, that was one that, you know, um, whenever you, you have an injury like that and you have that much kind of, you know, trauma, you know, to your body, you, that, that, that'll scare you a little bit. So I guess that was probably the worst one. Now that was, see, I remember now that I remember when you were in college and someone told me that you had mm-hmm. been, I think they said in a motorcycle accident. So obviously they were wrong. It was ATV. Now I've never, I've never yeah. asked you about it. I know some folks see, you know, a scar on your face. Um, what 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 happened there, Coach? I'm sorry to make you maybe relive the trauma, but I mean, folks are going to be curious, oh, and uh, I, you know, let's 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 just get it out the way now. Well, it sounds like a plan. Yeah. So, so it's actually it was after uh, my redshirt freshman year. We were in uh, in Austin, Texas, with uh, Eric Jones. He was a tight end for us. I don't know if you remember him. I do. Um, and so we were out in Austin, and we were uh, we were out there. We were, you know, we were shooting ski and doing some things like that. We were going to go make a deer hunt in the afternoon, and Eric was driving. Um, you know, we're in a side-by-side ATV. And he was kind of looking off to the left side on the driver's side, kind of looking down this ravine to see if they had any deer in there. We were, you know, we were going pretty fast, and he started to kind of veer off the off the trail a little bit. And uh, we kind of went into some brush, and they had a sawed-off branch that was probably about, you know, big around as your fist, um, where they had cut it, you know, to make the trail. And, uh, you know, whenever I saw it, I kind of ducked out of the way and it, it hit me right on the side of the face, basically. And, uh, but I kind of moved, so it kind of grazed my face and then it hit the headrest on the back of the ATV and kind of spun us around. And, um, you know, basically, long story short, without getting too, uh, too, too gruesome, uh, you know, my face, it was kind of like a C shaped cut, basically, from my bottom lip all the way around the side of my face and uh, for about, I had about two inches kind of keeping that part basically connected. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, I'd say it was pretty, uh, it was pretty gruesome. It was, uh, you know, there were, there was a lot of stitches involved in getting that thing back together. Jeez, man. Um, well, it, it's, it's a story I'm sure you've had to tell uh, a couple of times, but uh, yeah. You know, I mean, your high school sweetheart stayed with you after, and now she's your wife. So obviously, it, you know, it didn't it didn't mess up your face that much. Well, it just says the kind of person she is. I think it did mess me up pretty good, but <laughs> but she uh, <laughs> no, she she was awesome the whole time. Oh, uh, just trying to bring some brevity to it. I mean, that's that's a serious thing, and uh, I'm glad you're okay. I remember in college when <clears throat> I think you and Jerry were hanging out somewhere, Jerry Babb, and um, yep. and yep. I saw you guys. I, it was legends or something a friend of mine's like yeah mike got in a he said motorcycle accident i had never heard the details of it but atv with eric jones um uh it didn't it didn't it didn't change how you played football though coach you still you still went out there and um i don't know i mean maybe you ride atvs like you play football but i hope that's not how you drive to and from work just be careful out there uh, speaking of, let's yeah. transition into the New Orleans Bowl schedule. Uh, when when does the team leave, and and how do you balance Bowl Week prep with early signing day, which is uh, which is coming up on Wednesday? 
Yeah, so, you know, I think the biggest thing is we had a really good official visit weekend this weekend. Um, you know, we're, we, we've we got obviously some, uh, everyone knows, you know, we're missing some, some personnel and some people around here um, that usually do a lot with official visits and, and really our day-to-day operation. But like I said, the, you know, the, the men and women in this building stepped up and absolutely killed it, and uh, we had a great weekend. So, that's a big thing with the early signing period. Today is actually it goes dead again, um, so you know no one can go on the road or anything until you know till after you know the new year. So, you know I think what you're doing is you're just kind of staying in touch, making sure things are all still you know lined up so that you get them all signed up on Wednesday, um, and then from there you know I mean everything else you know that's kind of that's kind of on your mind and that's on your daily to dos. But you know I mean really. Like I said in the press conference the first time, our, our focus is on this team and these kids right here. So, you know, we're, we're excited about giving them a great experience in New Orleans. We're going to leave on Tuesday. Um, we'll stay all the way through Saturday night after the game. And, um, you know, one thing about this place, and, and I've said it before, you know, with Dr. Magger and his crew and Dr. Sabwa, everything that they do has a student athletes first. And um, these bowl games are no exception. Um, a lot of really, really cool things for them. A lot of opportunities. There's a service, uh, you know, basically a service project opportunity we get to do. There's practice in the Superdome, um, you know, and then there's 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 time for them on their own to spend some time in New Orleans to get to kind of walk around and see some things. And you know, we we want to make this a fun and a memorable experience for them because they're the ones who earn these opportunities. It's been. Um, you talk about the importance of routine. I know. For them, you guys have done the best job you could to sort of keep that routine from the Sunbelt Conference Championship game to now and, and into Saturday. But with all of the, you know, ancillary things and, and everything else happening around the program, how do you keep them focused? Or I guess I guess strike that perfect balance, Coach, right, of enjoying the experience, but but keeping that focus on going to win a football game. I mean, you guys have the second and longest win streak in 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 college football certainly at the at the fbs level anyway and if cincinnati if they don't win the national championship with the win over marshall you guys would carry that into next season i know how much pride these guys take how do you focus on getting the ultimate goal but striking that balance of hey with everything else going on you still got to enjoy yourself this week well you know I think that we work too hard for, to not have fun. Um, and I think there's there's always, uh, you know, our guys do a, a really good job. I mean, these kids, you know, when you think about midweek schedules, you know, and, and the games in the middle of the week and the, the five-day turnaround games that we have and, you know, and, and fall camp and, and early in the season you've got hurricanes and you've got all these things that they they just, they adjust and, you know, they know what's important. They understand that this game is another opportunity. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I think they're pretty motivated about this game. Um, you know, unfortunately, all, all the talk about our team has been about coaches and not about these players, mm-hmm. which um, is not fair to them. Um, and so I, I think they're pretty motivated to go out there and, and prove that, you know, that they're ready to go and that they're a pretty good team. And, you know, the thing I told them is that, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, who's going to be the one calling the play or who's going to be the one calling the timeouts for us. It's about those guys. And it always has been. Um, and everybody here would say that, and it still is. So, 
I think they're pretty motivated to go out there and go finish this thing the right way. There are a few individuals in the program that were at UL prior to, to Billy Napier's tenure, and they were there when Coach Mark Hudspeth and his staff were there. You were one. Levi Lewis is one. What what has the senior quarterback taught you over the years, uh, Mike, in, in, you know, what makes him the player that he is? You know, I think Levi just confirms everything that, that you believe as a coach. You know, you believe that the guys that work really hard are going to be successful. You believe the guys that are really humble and that play for their teammates are going to be successful. You believe that kid will play for somebody who does all everything the right way. And you believe that, you know, we talk about intangibles all the time. You know, you, you, everybody wants, you know, this recruiting world, right, you know, which is so flawed as it is, right? But everybody wants this six five quarterback that's got a rocket arm that can throw it through, you know, my old coach used to say throw it through a car wash and not get wet, uh, you know, can run, can do all these things. And Levi just is, is, proved, is proven um, and, and really just reaffirmed the things that you believe that, it's more about the person and the competitor and the leadership qualities and the type of person that it is than anything else. And to watch Levi go about it has just been, you know, for me to get to sit back and see it, you know, obviously I didn't coach him every day. Uh, man, to say I have the most respect for him, I mean, that's an understatement. That guy does things the right way. He's the hardest worker. He's the first one in. He's the last one out. He is locked in as can be. He's a great teammate. He builds people up. He'll confront them when they need to be confronted. I mean, Levi's got it all. Coach Michael Desimo, Louisiana Raging Cajun Ed football coach, our guest. It's the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. What does Marshall bring to the table, Coach? What have you seen on them in film, and uh, and, and where are they going to be a big challenge? Marshall's a good football team now. Um you know, I remember watching them play at State um, on TV, and you're watching that game after it was over. You kind of like, ooh, you know, uh, it might have should have went the other way. Um, you know, defensively, they're a big, long, um, athletic group on defense. They got, you know, they're really big up front. They're, they're long. They they play good ball. Their linebackers run to the football. You know, they've got a newcomer of the year on defense. All conference players at linebacker. Um, you know, they've got a big. Uh, boundary safety that does a really good job. He gets in there and fits the run and, and flies around a little bit, you know, and um, defensively, you know, I'm very familiar with Lance Gidry. Um, he's a really, really good football coach. Um, been doing it a long time, and, and you know, he get, he's going to have those guys ready to play. They're going to play with some energy and some effort. That That is one thing you know for sure. Um, you know, offensively, you know, I mean, they've got some guys now on offense. You know, the quarterback was freshman of the year last year. He's got a lot of ability. I mean, really talented young player. The running back, you know, they're they're kind of they start right there, right, with with the run game and trying to make it happen. And then you know they've got two outside receivers that, to me, or or a little bit of a catalyst for them. You know, if they can mix it up and they can get it going with the uh, in the run game and get the ball to those guys on the outside and kind of get it rolling. They're they're tough to beat. So, you know, they've got some weapons out there on offense. Um, good offensive line. You know, their center's their leader. He's the one who's going to be playing in a bowl game, um, you know, a postseason bowl game for as a senior. Um, so they've got good players. Uh, they always do. You know, I think going seven and five in, in the first year with the new staff, that's, that's you know, that, that's that's no small no small task. You know, we've, we've been there. Um, 
that's hard to do. So I think they're a program that's on the rise. I think they're playing, uh, you know, they've been playing pretty good ball in defense, you know, and I think uh, for us it'll be a it'll be a good game. We're excited about getting to play them. Anytime you get to cross over with uh, another conference, um, that's always fun. And then, you know, the fact that they'll be a familiar foe here um, very shortly, you know, is always a lot of things go into it that make this an exciting game for us. You mentioned Marshall's offense, Coach. They're averaging 34 points a game. And uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Tony, one of the coaches that, that is in Florida now, what is the plan, at least for Saturday's game, in terms of Louisiana's defense and, and who will serve as the coordinator for New Orleans Bowl? So Coach Wes Neighbors is going to call the defense. Um, you know, Wes, uh, this, this is his first year on the staff with us, but Wes has played in a very similar system, um, kind of coaching similar systems to this. So, you know, we feel, you know, we feel good about it, but, you know, like anything, you know, like, you know, we say it all the time, the rest of these guys on defense, the defensive staff, the, the quality control guys on and off the field, you know, but they've just hit the ground running like nothing's happened, you know, and they just kind of, all right, next guy up, next guy doing it. And um, I have all the faith in the world in those guys. And I know, uh, you know, I'm up here with them. I know the time that they put in. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them to get to go out there and do it, you know, and our kids, I know, our kids, our kids are going to step up and they're going to play even better than they have, you know, because I know they know what's on the line. They know kind of everything that's been going on, and and they're going to be they're going to be chomping at the bit to do it. Coach Michael Desimar, our guest, Louisiana Rage Occasion at football. Coach, only a few more for you. I um, wanted to ask you a little bit more about the staff. You told me last week that you weren't going to rush to make any decisions about the staff just to get something done quickly, right? You're going right. to take your time. A lot going on this week, right? After the bowl game at some point, you'll settle in and make sure that the staff is, is the way you guys, you know, uh, think is, is going to serve the program best. Is is there any aspect of Saturday's game that could be an audition in some aspects as far as uh, potentially filling a role, or, or would that be putting too much into just this single game coming up on Saturday? Yeah, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you could do that. You know, I mean... You know, I don't think you could do that in, in one game, especially, you know, not to get too much into it, but especially with all the things that have, sure. that have you know, all the moving parts that have happened in the last week and yeah. a half, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I don't, I don't, I really don't see it that way. I don't, I don't think, I don't think it would be fair <clears throat> to judge someone's performance off of, you know, really one week in, in a week that they really don't have time to get things set up the way they want to. So I, I don't really see it that way. Uh, you know, obviously, you just you kind of watch the things that they've done over time, um, and and you know, and the way that they handle their business over time. And I think that's more important to me. You know, the term we use over here is it's a body of work over time. It's not a, you know, it's not a single result or a single thing. Yeah, I, one hundred percent. I mean, I'm I'm not on the inside like you, but but I've I've told fans that for years when. You know, maybe a coach is promoted after a bowl game. They're like, oh, well, they played good in the bowl game. I'm like, I don't think that really had much to do with the decision. You know, I think it's the fact that they had already been on the staff for years and the leadership of that, you know, program. But win or lose in those kinds of situations, I think there is a bit too much emphasis put into, you know, what it means for the future of a coach or an individual. Last question on coaches, uh, on your staff. I know with your, your contract, a big part of it was that, that, that I know fans were curious about, certainly me as well, 
was the salary pool for the assistants. And it was $2.5 million for Coach Napier, and it's going to be the same for you. Dr. Magger told us that last week. Um, when you were talking about, uh, you know, when you were interviewing for the job, how much? I lost you for a second. Okay, sorry. So basically, I'll get right to it. How much was the salary pool remaining the same for assistance? How big a part of that was when you were talking to Dr. Maggard about possibly becoming the head coach? And, and how important do you think it is to continue the success that UL has risen to, unprecedented success here over the last couple of seasons? Listen, you, you're only as good as your help. I mean, and, and, and what we do, you know, you, you can try to micromanage it all you want to, um, but you, it's not, you're not going to be very successful. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts in, in what we do, and there's a lot of people that you have to trust to do their jobs. And, you know, the salary pool is, is tremendously important because, you know, it lets you keep people here. It lets you, you know, get quality people here and, and allows you to keep them. I mean, I say it all the time, you know, when Coach Napier hired that first staff, there wasn't very many, you know, quote-unquote big names on that staff, right, you know, that people would have, you know, splash-type hires. But as things got rolling, you know, a lot of our guys on staff have had a lot of opportunities throughout the years, and he was able to keep them because, you know, the universities made the commitment to, to, to the salary pool. So, you know, and that's things that people don't know and understand, but it's huge for us. And, um, you know, I think that it's really important to continue that type of structure and the type of, you know, support system we have around us because nobody wants to stay the same and surely nobody wants to go backwards. So, you know, it, it, it's, if you do things the right way, you've never made it, you know, if that makes any sense, you're constantly trying to make, and you're constantly trying to improve your processes and you're constantly trying to get a little bit better at things that you look around and say, I think we could do a better job at that. And, you know, you can't do that if you're going backwards uh, with the support system and the structure and the way that, you know, you don't get the same product if you say, "Hey, you know, we're, uh, you know, we had this support, we had this salary pool for the staff. We're going to pay them half of it, but we should get the same result." I mean, you know, that's just that's hard to that's hard to imagine being able to do that. So it's been huge for them to make that commitment to our assistant coaches. Final football question, coach, and it'll be the most basic, uh, slow pitch. Very, you know, it would be impossible probably for you to not give at least some kind of coach speak when it comes to a question like this. But how do you get the win Saturday night against Marshall? We got to go out there and we got to put our kids in a position to have success. We have a good football team. We've got kids that play really hard for each other and play hard for this university. They are going to be excited about playing in New Orleans. You know, um, when we told them we were going to New Orleans Bowl, um, I actually got to break that news to them. They were fired up about it. Um, it's been it's been a heck of a last few weeks for everybody around here. And for these kids to get to go out there, I, we just need to go put them out there, put them in position to make some plays, and put them in position to go out there and execute. And, uh, you know, I fully believe in that locker room and in these coaches that we're going to be able to do that and we're going to be able to go out there and uh, have a whole lot of fun in New Orleans. 8.15 from the Caesars Superdome. Guys, you can get your tickets. Go to RagingCajuns.com. Louisiana taking on Marshall. Last question. I like to end it with non-football-related questions. What is your favorite Christmas movie of all time, Coach? Oh, it's got to be Home Alone, I think. That was whenever I was a kid growing up. You know, Home Alone was 
you know, that, that was kind of still holds up too. Deal, you know? It's still good too. I mean, my six year old thinks it it's hilarious, and then you know, I wonder why he laughs every time I accidentally get neat in the nuts or something. So you know, when you watch right. Home Alone as a kid, it's hilarious, and then I don't know, watching my kids watch it now, I still laugh about it. There's some, it's good. All right, I, I like it. I like it, Coach. Best of luck this week. I know how busy you are. I appreciate you taking uh, a chunk of your schedule to, to visit with us. I know the fans listen. They certainly enjoy hearing your perspective on things. Safe travels to New Orleans. Enjoy the week. And uh, we look forward to seeing you over there after the game on Saturday night. Sounds good, Scott. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having me. You got it. That is Louisiana Raging Cajun Head football coach Michael Desimo. We certainly appreciate him coming on. Uh, West Neighbors will coach the defense. We learned... Learned a lot in that conversation. I like it. Uh, looking forward to talking to Coach Moore in the coming years, and uh, we'll probably visit with him one more time a week from the day uh, about the game. And, again, Louisiana gets the win. That will be 13 in a row. And if Cincinnati does not beat Alabama or win the national championship, if they beat Alabama against either Georgia or Michigan, then with the win over Marshall, Louisiana will have the longest active winning streak in the FBS heading into the, 2020, uh, 20, uh, the 2022 season. Be a nice little, nice little skin to put on the wall. Nice little thing to carry into the offseason. This is an important game Saturday night. And I like Coach Dez's point about you know, unfortunately for these players, so much of the coverage has been about the coaches, you know, about coaches lately and not them. And he's right. And I think he understands why. I think everyone understands why. And that's where a lot of the stories have been. Coach Napier leaves. Coach Desimo's promoted from within. Who's staying? Who's going? Learn more about Coach Des that maybe you didn't know before, even though he is a native son of the program. You know, there are some players on this team. Shout out Chauncey Manack, who's going to uh, got an invite to the NFLPA game. A lot of players that are going to be vying for the NFL draft when the season ends. A lot of them that have put a lot of equity, a lot of hard work into the program. And this will be their last time wearing a Louisiana uniform. Again. All this talk from some folks about, well, this game and who they're playing... Louisiana is a five-point favorite. It's this Saturday night. It's the Arnell Carriers New Orleans Bowl. And outside of, of, of Coach Desermo and Troy Winger, the director of football operations, there is no one else on that staff or in that locker room that has been part of a New Orleans Bowl before. This is a new experience. I mean, Dr. Maggard is, I mean, he, he wasn't the, the AD the last time the Cajuns were in the New Orleans Bowl against Southern Miss. The one loss that they've ever had in the New Orleans Bowl, 4-1 and one all time. This is a new experience for them, and this is an opportunity for them to head into the season ranked very high, possibly in the top 15 of the human polls. I think with a win, you certainly are. Top 20 of the college football playoff polls and carry the longest win streak in college football into the offseason. Marshall's a team that can score a lot of points. 
It's going to be fun on Saturday. That's going to do it for our uh, segment here with Coach Michael Desimo. We'll talk a little bit more about Marshall and maybe some areas where they're vulnerable or have shown to be vulnerable this season. We'll talk more about the Saints win over the Jets yesterday. You'll hear from Alvin Kamara. But he's talking about this offense just being unstoppable. And I'm like, eh, it depends on who you play. But a win's a win, baby. All that and more, plus open phone lines at 337-269-1077. Don't go anywhere. This is the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. back i'm healthy so it is what it is it wasn't there wasn't there wasn't a a notion to me like getting less of a load it was just whatever whatever it was gonna be you know what i'm saying like i wasn't limited or anything so that's just how the game, the game unfolded got a good load i feel good i'm back i'm back healthy so i mean uh i mean i think that was the most important thing just being able to get get healthy and, and get well so i can help the team the best i could so like you said, I, felt, I mean, I felt comfortable. I felt good. Um, O-line played well. I think we played well all around as a team. Um, I think it was a lot of energy out there, and we came out with the win. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports, Alvin Kamara. Said that was important, me being fully healthy when I came back. I think the fact that Kamara had practiced on a limited basis a little bit the previous two weeks, but was held out of the game. And based on, I mean, I told you all last week before the Dallas game, he ain't playing Thursday. I don't care if he was limited this week. He's not playing based on what I'd been told from a few folks close to the situation. And Sean Payton's reasoning was, we want you to be back fully healthy. And you may remember two years ago in 2019, Kamara was playing and Kamara was playing hurt and he didn't have the ability to cut and do a lot of the things that make him the special, unique, and elite player that he was. He was still catching a lot of balls. He was still getting a ton of touches a game, but sort of the the things that make Kamara Kamara, which you saw in that touchdown run yesterday, the things that make Chris Berman go, what? That was missing in the 2019 season, and folks were like, oh, he's worried about his contract, or what's his deal, or he doesn't care. And I'm, I told everybody, I said, stop it. The guy's out there. Clearly, he's hurt. And they did not want to rush him back this year from that knee injury until he was, you know, 100%. Certainly a lot closer to it. And you saw it, <laughs> you saw it paying dividends yesterday. 120 rushing yards, had plenty of catches as well no player no running back in the history of the nfl has had more receptions through their first five seasons than alvin Kamara. passed roger craig for that mark yesterday now the same can't be said for Taysom hill in terms of his health that dude's out there with a mallet finger and a half torn foot but do what you got to do Kamara says statistically obviously 
Or no, Taysom Hill said, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, but just having Kamara's presence on the field, being able to just hand him the ball and all that other stuff, man, he just does so much for this team, just being there. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. They have missed him. It was good talking to Coach Michael Desimo as well this hour. And Louisiana versus Marshall this Saturday. Talking about Marshall's offense, I mean, they're averaging 471 yards a game. Louisiana's defense, they only give up 345 a game. So what gives? Well, they've turned it over 23 times this year. They do score a lot. But the Cajuns, you know, they, they've only turned it over eight times. Eight. Louisiana's, I mean, you know, Cajuns forced turnovers 20 times this year. I mean, you'd be plus 12 in the turnover department. That, obviously, that's the stat anytime. And with the exception of the South Alabama game, where Louisiana was not good in the turnover department, but still got the win, game was a lot closer as a result, though. Protect the football, force Marshall into mistakes, which they've been prone to do this year, and you win. And you win. You do it. Saturday night, 8.15. Catch it on our airwaves. But better yet, catch it in person over at the Caesars Superdome. Don't go anywhere. More on Saints-Jets. You'll hear from Sean Payton. We'll talk about week 14 in the NFL, some of the bigger takeaways. Dustin Poirier. Ah, Looked like he might get out of that with a first-round knockout or TKO, but... Once he was down on the mat, it was different in round three. Will he get another title opportunity at some point? We're going to talk a little bit about that fight on Saturday as well. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott Show continues right after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. To the Great Scott Show, hour number two. Your hour. You want to jump in, 269-1077. 337-269-1077. Dustin Poirier. Loved Dustin, was rooting hard for Dustin. Fell to Oliveira in the third round for the UFC World Lightweight Championship. Dustin came out in the first round, man, and looked good. Won the first round, but couldn't win the the fight in the first round. And in round three, he submitted to a rear naked choke. And that's Poirier's first loss since he lost, I think, in Abu Dhabi back in 2019. But, I mean, Poirier started off quick, man. Solid right to, to, to Oliviera's chin. Poirier rolls out of a hold. He hits a, a flurry of punches, takes an uppercut, then knocks him down with a counter punch, and it's like, here we go. But Oliviera held off Dustin's submission hold, and 
A lot of you know, a lot of punches at the end of the first round between the two fighters. Dustin landed a right hand and a left hook, and then Oliveira had you know a right hand to to, to Poirier. His nose was bleeding, and you round one ends, and you're like, oh man. I mean, I don't smoke guys, but I'm like, ooh, give me a cigarette. I wasn't really like that, but you know what I'm saying. And then in the second round, Oliveira comes out there, and he's just aggressive. Uh, Threw a knee, pinned Poirier against the cage. Couldn't get a takedown, though, early. And it was, it was, the fight started to shift a little bit there. Got some elbows on uh, Poirier's chin. Poirier had to release a triangle. And then it just turned into Olivier's just ground and pound. And Poirier's like, let me just get to round three here. And then in round three, Olivier jumped on Poirier's back, tried to land the rear naked choke. And once he finally was able to do it, Poirier had to tap out. Dustin is 28 and seven all time, one no contest. And. What happens next with Dustin? First of all, Dustin's all class. And um, the amount of work, charity work that Dustin has done around here is it's it's well documented. But he's done charity work all over, all over, all over the world. And after the fight, offered to donate money to a charity of Olivier. From the Diego Lima shootbox team, Makako Patino, his longtime coach. That's Dustin talking to Oliveira's translator and telling him, and then the two hug it out. A lot of respect. A lot of respect. No word on when Poirier will fight next. Some feel like he won't get another title shot. Um, you know, if if he does, I mean, but a lot of people felt like he'd never get a title shot after he lost to Khabib. Dustin's 32. He'll be 33 uh, in a little over a month. I don't know what, what, what he wants next, but I, I've learned... I've learned not to doubt Dustin Poirier. That's what I've learned. I've learned not to doubt Dustin Poirier. As he said afterwards, look, I can do anything I put my mind to. I can fight for another belt. I can get on another streak. I can claw. I can climb. He says, get back to whatever I want to be. It's just, do I want to? He says, that's the real question. I got to look in the mirror and answer. Do I want to do it again? Do I want to go down that road again? He said that the answer will come in the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks. And then he'll know in his heart what he wants to do next. He says, if it's in my heart that I want to do it all over again, I'll be back fighting for another world title. And if he makes that decision that he wants to climb again, I don't doubt that he'll have another title shot. But I don't think we're going to know for a couple of weeks. ESP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We've talked uh, a lot of UL football with Coach Michael Desmond. We talked a lot about the Saints and the Jets. And, I, you know, the Saints' identity on offense, 
you saw it yesterday. And that's about all they can do right now with the way this team is constructed. They're not going to suddenly get a magical number one wide receiver. With what they have to work with the receiver and with where the skill set and the strength of their team is, the Saints are going to try to muck it up, run the ball, keep it close, and that's their formula to try to win football games. And it worked yesterday against a very bad Jets team, and it worked well for the Saints. They didn't pull away until the fourth quarter. They scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. Taysom isn't a guy you want slinging the ball all over the place when you're down, when you've fallen behind. He's not. Mallet finger or no mallet finger. Torn plantar fascia or no torn plantar fascia. Healthy or playing what he is right now. That's not what you want. You want him to manage a passing game, use his legs, and use the Saints' running ability. It was funny. Taysom runs for that 44-yard score to end the game, or if he had slid, would have ended the game, and Gamera said afterwards, I told this dumbass to slide. He says, I should have slid. Well, no harm, no foul. New York didn't get back on the board. They did come a yard short of scoring a cosmetic touchdown at the end of the game. But Saints snapped the five-game losing streak. They get 30 points. And, you know, those late scores also came on short fields because New York was, you know, unsuccessful on some fourth down attempts. 30 to 9. Yeah, they won by three touchdowns. The reality is for three and a half quarters, the game was closer than what the final score would indicate. But moving forward, the Saints formula is to muck it up, lean on Alvin Kamara. When Mark Ingram gets back, lean on him and hope the defense forces some turnovers. Taysom didn't turn it over yesterday. He almost did. Lost his grip on a screen pass and the ball flies behind him. Fumbled a snap later. He recovered both times. What did Sean Payton say after? It's always a little bit of an adventure with him. (laughs) Yeah, you say it's a little bit of an adventure after a win. The adventure is a nightmare after a loss. But defensively, I don't think that yesterday's game is one that you get two up or two down about the Saints defense. They played well. Even without Cam Jordan and others, they played well. They were also playing a terrible football team. I mean, Zach Zach Wilson. My goodness. His accuracy is that of Philip Seymour Hoffman's basketball ability in the movie Along Came Polly. I mean, he wasn't getting anywhere close to accuracy in that. And when he would get there, the Jets receivers would just drop it. But until the Saints add more pieces next offseason, what you saw yesterday offensively may not be aesthetically pleasing to you, especially if you only started watching the Saints in 2006. But it is the only formula for them to win games here late in the season. Will it work against Carolina or Atlanta? Yeah, possibly. Will it work against Miami? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Miami's pretty good. Will it work against Tampa next week? Oof. You see, Tampa should have lost yesterday. They should have lost. They were on the right side of some questionable calls. They did build a big lead. They played well at times. And the Bills, as I've told you all all season... What do they do? They lose close games. Every one possession game they've been in this year, they've lost. And five of their six losses were one possession games. 
Every one of their wins this year has been lopsided. But what the Bills do well offensively is sling it. What they don't do great offensively is run. Now, they had some runs in the second half that opened it up a little bit. What Tampa's defense does well is stop the run. Where they're vulnerable is in the secondary. Well, that doesn't exactly match up well with what the Saints have to do currently offensively. So next Sunday night, you know, (laughs) you're going to have to just get really physical and win the turnover battle, make something happen on special teams, and go from there. That's what you're going to have to do. Beating the Bucks won't be easy. But if you're one of those, if if you are one of those Saints fans still holding out a glimmer of hope that you might be in the playoffs, well, then you're going to have to upset the Bucks, And you're going to have to trend a lot more upward offensively, and you're going to have to just make it nasty and have your best defensive game of the season. 337-269-1077, Sean Payton, after yesterday's win in New York. You know, we did a, we did, we did a lot of things well situationally. And we played really good team defense, um, ran the ball effectively, made enough plays on offense in the kicking game. I thought we did a good job uh, protecting the field position, uh, especially earlier in the game with a little bit of that wind going uh, in the one direction. So, any questions? Sean, did you know this was going to be kind of one of those games where you guys could preserve points and kind of grind it out for how you played earlier? Well, look, no, I mean, I I think you go into the start of this game and you feel like um, these guys have been scoring. Last week, I think, you know, uh, they put up, I think, in their first first half um no this this was a little bit of uh, us feeling offensively like you know we're gonna have a handful of things that you know with alvin back and um teron back that was important um so we you know we wanted that balance and uh and then watching how the defense was playing um you know in the red zone particularly and so it just kind of moved in a direction the second half you know, we, uh, we shot ourselves in the foot a few times. Uh, obviously, the ball slips out of Taysom's hand on the one down. And, you know, I mean, really like flip field position almost. I don't know how many yards we lost on that play. And, you know, we got a screen set up where, you know, it was the perfect look. But um, but overall, it was a good team win. Was it the plan uh, to have Alvin with 31 touches today? Um, no, I couldn't say that. Uh, but, look, that sounds about right. Um, I think it ended up going that direction. Obviously, we had a lot of snaps then, and, um, you know, he, he gave us some real good juice and energy, and, and he always does, not just on the field, but also on the sideline. And, and uh, you know, we blocked him, I thought, pretty well up front. Is it important you to kind of get back to that complimentary football you guys have been playing really well early in the season? And- yeah, look, and... and I, I think it's important for us as a team, and I, I think it's important for a lot of teams. And, and so, um, you know, at the half, our third down numbers weren't great. We, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of third downs, but some of them were third and real long. And then I thought we were we were better in the second half. We had a good mix, though. Um, 
you know, of run and play action or, or drop back. Some uh, comments from Saints head coach Sean Payton. Other things from week 14 in the NFL. The Chiefs, Chiefs look back, don't they? The Chiefs also absolutely own the Raiders as of late for sure. Certainly Patrick Mahomes does. And the reality is two of the last three games they played have been against the Raiders. I mean, what was Mahomes yesterday? 20 for 24? Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a couple touchdowns. I mean, the offense for Kansas City is improving. You want to see it from somebody uh, against somebody other than the Raiders. But I said this last week. Once everybody started to sleep on that sleep, once everyone finally decided that they were going to not believe in the Chiefs anymore because it just looked broken, seems to be right when they woke up. But if they hang 48 on the Chargers in L.A. on a short week this Thursday, then I think everyone will say, okay, go ahead and, and, and put them in the Super Bowl. But they have scored so much against the Raiders. 89 of the 166 points the Chiefs have scored in their last seven games, two have come against the Raiders. More than 50% of all of their points scored over the last two months came against one team. The Raiders, one week, look like they can beat anyone, and the next week just look terrible. And my question about the Raiders is, what is the future of Derek Carr? All this talk about quarterbacks that could be somewhere else next year. Deshaun Watson, obviously Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are the big topics of that discussion. Derek Carr's got one year left on his contract, non-guaranteed, 19.9 mil. It's actually a pretty good price in terms of the going market for QBs. Depending on who the next head coach of the Raiders are is, that that will determine whether or not Derek Carr is with the Raiders moving forward. I will not be surprised at all if they trade him in the offseason. Could he be a possibility for the Saints? Yeah, maybe. But whoever trades for Carr is going to have to give him an extension. You don't trade high value for a starting quarterback to rent him for a year. Ultimately, I think the market for Carr is going to be decided on what happens with Watson, Rodgers, and Wilson this offseason. Other takeaways from week 14. Micah Parsons is, uh, forget about defensive rookie of the year. That guy is the defensive player of the year. He just, he... You can love the Cowboys. You can hate the Cowboys. Let's just call a spade a spade. Micah Parsons is incredible. Big play after big play, week after week. And they needed it. They jumped out to a big lead, and they end up you know, hanging on to, to beat Washington by a touchdown. The Baltimore Ravens can't win without Lamar Jackson. We already knew that. Yesterday just confirmed it. Urban Meyer is calling everyone on his team a loser. That's not going to bode well for his future. Cam Newton is, I think we probably already knew this, but in terms of playing quarterback, it's been a couple years since he was good in that regard. As a starting NFL quarterback, he just doesn't have it anymore. The Broncos continue to flirt with possibly making the playoffs. 
And a reminder, speaking of the playoff, playoffs, thank you, Jim. Speaking of the playoffs, the NFL has got a lot of what they wanted with this extra playoff game. First of all, more TV money, which is the big thing. Secondly, so many fan bases still feel like they're in it. So many. The New York Jets, I haven't seen the Jags play this year, but I saw the Jets yesterday. I, if the Jags are worse than the Jets, holy cow, are they bad. Because the Jets are really bad. But the Jets weren't technically eliminated from the AFC playoffs until yesterday. I mean, they're 3-10. and 10. Saints fans are sitting there and saying, all right, we lose out on a tiebreaker, but our team has the same record as a team that would be in the playoffs if they started today. You have a five-way tie right now for the seven seed, of which the Saints fall dead last among all the tiebreakers. And all those teams are only one game back of the Niners, which narrowly escaped defeat yesterday. They won in overtime against Cincinnati. And even Seattle is sitting there telling themselves, hey, we're still in the mix here. We're only five and eight. We could win out. And the AFC, I mean, everyone from the Colts to the Dolphins, six through 13, are all telling themselves they're right there on the door, right there at the doorstep. Got a shot. Playoffs mean something in the NFL. No, I, I, again, I'm not suddenly all gung-ho about seven playoff teams because we've seen six seeds get in that are just bad, and we're certainly going to see it with seven seeds, like last year with the Chicago Bears. But adding more intrigue into the regular season, adding more intrigue into every single game for somebody that doesn't play fantasy football when you get to week 16, 17, and 18 is good for the league. Period. Emails. You can email me, scott at espnlafayette.com. Carl emails. Scott, I watched the Saints yesterday. My concern is that they used Alvin Kamara too much. Yes, it was good to get him back, but if the Saints won any shot at the playoffs, losing him would be the end of it. Do you think they used him too much? Well, no, not if they wanted to win that game. Let's not act like the Saints just crushed the Jets for four quarters. Ideally, you'd love to win a game and have Kamara, certainly at this point in the season, have half as many touches. I mean, the guy had 31 touches and carried the ball a lot. But he looked good. He looked fresh. And honestly, you didn't have Mark Ingram. I mean, Kamara averaged 4.4 yards a carry. Tony Jones Jr. averaged 1.7 against, you know, the worst defense in the league. It ain't like Tony Jones Jr., Mr. Preseason, is exactly... uh, lighting the world on fire with his running ability, okay? Based on what you have offensively right now, yeah, when Ingram gets back next week, you'll see you'll see Ingram mixed in there quite a bit, but I would not expect Kamara's workload in any games that are close for the majority of the game to, to, to tailor back at all. Regardless of the fact that some feel like the Saints don't have a shot at the playoffs, and I would exactly bet them to get in right now, 
They believe they can, and they're going to do whatever they can. And it's honestly probably part of the reason why they actually held Kamara out as long as they did. I mentioned it in 2019 when Kamara was playing through injury and was not the same player. He wasn't as effective. They had a lot of other weapons in the offense. This year, they don't. Peyton knows that. Carmichael knows that. They said, we are not letting you back. They said, you're not playing against Dallas. We want you to get fully healthy. He wanted to play against the Cowboys. He was limited in practice that week. They said, nope. Remember the scariest thing that happened yesterday in the Saints-Jets game? It actually was right after the game. You start dealing with somebody that is totally inebriated. Totally in a different reality because they're so drunk. Especially if you don't know them. You're, there's an uneasiness there. When you're an athlete, I don't care how many pads you're wearing. You have some drunk moron running out on the field. You don't know what's coming next. Demario Davis, after the game, down on the field, here's Quan Alexander yell from about 10 yards away, Look out. Davis turns around, and there are uh, two security guards tackling a drunk fan right into Davis's right knee. The best player this season for the Saints, the guy that's been most consistent, the guy that's been good every single week, the guy that's played every single week, it would not have been ideal to lose him to a drunk fan. They didn't. He was okay. He was able to joke about it afterwards in postgame. He and Quan Alexander, they're now doing the the joint press conference interviews like Kamara and, and Ingram do. And they were able to laugh a little bit about it because he was all right. That was, honestly, I mean, it, that in itself had more action than most of the game. Good news is he's okay. What a scary moment. Look up and you see that. Here's Demario and Quan after the win. Uh, Alvin and Mark? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Duo. Duo. <laughs> Legendary. You haven't seen a win here. You guys haven't seen a win in over a month. Just to see that result that you got tonight to end this losing streak for you guys, how important, how big is that, how good does it feel? Uh, it's all about the process for us. That's what we always focused on, you know, week in, week out, is getting better. And, you know, we've had some challenging weeks, you know, not being able to get the result that we wanted on the field, but, you know, we just stay true to the process, and that's what you do. You lock in on your details. How can you get better as an individual? How can you bring, you know, your best, you know, come Sunday, and, you know, eventually it'll pay off for you, and, and it did today. And so uh, we'll take that one and, you know, flush it, enjoy it, then flush it, then get on to the next. Uh, for either of you all, do you feel like this was kind of the way you all were playing earlier this year with the defense locking things down, the offense kind of playing complimentary football? And- um, everybody kind of working together on that. Yeah, man, we just came together as a team. You know, we started with practice at the beginning of the week. You know, um, we had a legendary week. You know, all the hard stuff was during the week. And then we came out on Sunday, you know, got a dub, and we're getting ready for next week, and we're ready. Getting CJ back this week, just how much of an energy boost was that? That was huge. Um, you know, we want all our guys out there, you know. Um, you know, we can't wait to get Cam back as well. You know, get, get get some of our D line guys back. You know, so we want all our guys out there. We want everybody healthy, and that's when we at our best. Um, you know, it's the next man up business. 
But getting him back, you know, getting any of our guys back is going to always take us to the next level. So. How weird was it that Kim wasn't here today? It, it, it was kind of weird, but, you know, like he said, next man up. You know, um, most of our guys, you know, they, they capable to be start, starters. So, you know, they came in there, played with energy, played with heart, played with passion, you know, and we got to do Speaking of having uh, one of those guys back, Davenport, you got a sack kind of on a play where he clears some stuff out. What, what impact does he just have just for everybody else on the field when he's out there? Man, he's just so disruptive. You know, um, play fast, play to the end of the whistle. You know, we're glad to have him back out there too because we just got him back this week. You know, uh, he's just been a beast since he's been back. You know what I'm saying? So we just you're gonna just keep working with him, keep getting better and better every week. You guys are out there for a bunch of three and outs. Is that? It, is that like hard to like stay in the flow of the game when you're not playing every please? No, that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when we're doing our job the best. That's mm-hmm. when we most in sync when you're able to get out there and get off the field, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, you know, definitely if they're able to make plays and extend drives, you know, you still got to be locked in. But that's what you want. You know, if we can get off in one play and get a takeaway, tur- yeah. that's even better, you know. And so, um, I think you stay in the flow of the game when. when when, when plays are happening on your side and in your favor, you know, because they, they kind of off, off beat, you know, and you, you know you got them, and so trying to, trying to stay up with that momentum is, is the goal. Did y'all expect to go back on the field after uh, Taysom decided not to slide and score instead? <laughs> Just said it wasn't no middle time. Hey, no middle time. We'll be ready whenever, you know what I'm saying? If we have to go back there, we got to go back out there, you know. And we did our thing, we didn't let them score, and then we was off the field, so that's it. Mario, I missed this. So can you tell us what happened with the fan running on the field after the game? Oh, oh, listen. I'll just say this. No weapon formed against Michelle Prosper. I had to scream that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just grateful to God. Mm-hmm. I saw it unfold. The fan was running. And I saw the guy coming behind him, you know, a cop, uh, you know, one of our military uh, guys. I don't know. He was coming full speed. And so they, he got close. And I didn't have room to dodge. I couldn't go left or right. And he tackled him, and he tackled him, like, right into my leg. I just, I don't know, he had a better angle. He yeah, could saw, see it. Yeah. I saw him when he was running, and he came across my face. I was like, then when the dude, he form tackled, yeah. he hit you in your leg. I was like, oh, man. And you see how it you could have <laughs> been bad. It could have been bad, but like I said, man, I'm just grateful to God it wasn't. Maybe. You know, no weapon formed against Michelle Prosper. So I was protected in that moment. The fan wasn't, but I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh about it. It's yeah. Nothing. Just the thought of like being taken out like that just makes me like cringe. Well, we know we just we just big on focusing on the positive, you know. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. you don't think about like what could have happened or anything. Like I said, it didn't. You know, I'm grateful to God that it didn't, and uh, you know, move on. You know. Have y'all seen anything like that before? Oh, plenty of time. That was my first time in real life. I you had never TV. seen? You never, no, I don't know. TV. Oh, I don't seen. I don't. I don't, I don't seen streakers. <laughs> Streakers on the field. <laughs> Arkansas State is wild, man. I, I saw it happen a couple times. <laughs> I love it. Arkansas State is wild. The irony of that is that in Jonesboro, when Demario Davis was at Arkansas State, it was still a dry county. And I know that means, you know, folks can still get drunk and whatnot, but it ain't like they were selling it at the stadium or anything like that. It's a little harder to do in Jonesboro back when Davis was playing there. Said, oh, I've seen it plenty of times. Streakers, yeah. People on the field, I've seen it all. Bottom of the hour. Davis played at Arkansas State. Quan Alexander played at LSU. Their head football coach was in uh, Walker Howard's social media page last night, dancing to Garth Brooks. 
that make Mark Madsen's dance moves look like he is Usher Raymond in his prime. And as a result, too many folks are going too over the top with all of it. I often find myself sometimes looking at a few comments on social media about something in the world of sports that I'm like, how did, how did you get here? That, how did you get to that place that quickly? I'll explain next right here on ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prey. This is the great Scott show. We're back right after this. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings Sportsbook that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sportsbook because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 1420 when you sign up. Because when you do, $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it hits. That's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. Must be 21 or older. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Garth Brooks calling Baton Rouge was the music playing on a video that Walker Howard shared on social media yesterday. Walker Howard, SDM quarterback, five-star recruit, former Gatorade Player of the Year, Under Armour All-American. One of the best quarterback, high school quarterbacks in the country for the last few years. He will sign his letter of intent with LSU this Wednesday at 1 o'clock in the gym over at STM. Now, Walker shared that video. That song was playing, but in the video, it is he is standing back-to-back with LSU head coach Brian Kelly, and the camera's spinning around. And Let's just say BK's dance moves, like I said, they make Mark Matson. His infamous dance moves from that Lakers championship celebration 18 years ago. He makes Mark Madsen look like Michael Jackson. That is how bad Brian Kelly's dancing was. You talk about like weird, old, awkward dad, white dad dance moves. I mean, that was Brian Kelly. And it was funny. And that's okay. And Walker Howard is a great kid, and he's a great quarterback, and he's probably going to be great at LSU, and that's good. Like, I can I just laugh at something now because it's funny without all of this just palaver and conjecture and all the comments all over social media? Like, the jokes about it were great, but inevitably, at least on my timelines, it just turns into so much 
bickering between UL and LSU fans. And look at this moron. And then LSU fans getting the mentions, oh, you wish you had him too, or oh, this and that. And it's, oh, it's Baton Rouge and what's UL, which that is blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, you guys got to this place in like 60 seconds. Can't we all just agree that the dancing was uncomfortable but very funny? Oh, phew. Be dancing too with that paycheck, and I just landed this recruit. I don't see why people were making fun of him. Stop it. Oh, he's obviously a bad coach. Look at his dance moves. Stop it. These extremes are just annoying. Stop taking everything so serious. It's like no one was talking about Walker Howard. Just once again, he's never he's never backed off of his commitment. He's been pretty he's been pretty firm since he made the announcement. And Walker's a great kid. And and, and his dad's a great guy. And I wish him well. But it's like no one's even talking about that. They're just talking about Brian Kelly doing this. I don't know. Can you call it dancing? It was funny. I had to laugh. I had to laugh. Early signing day is this Wednesday. Good luck to everyone. Good luck to everyone. 40 after the hour. Three three seven two six nine ten seventy seven. Emails. Jacob emails. Scott, I'm a Saints fan that still believes we have a shot. Isn't that the point of having seven teams in the playoffs? I'm all for it. Who that? I mean, I, I think the point obviously is money, but yes, the other the other thing is giving fan bases that hope that they're they're certainly alive. The Saints right now are eleventh. In the NFC. But they have the same record as Washington, who is the seventh seed currently. I say the seventh seed. In seventh place. So, yeah. Keep the hope alive. But you're going to have to beat Tampa Bay. It's going to be a tall task with the offense they got right now for New Orleans. ESPN Lafayette, good morning. Welcome into the show. Good morning, Scotty. How you doing, my friend? What's going on, Tennessee? Oh, I'm enjoying this beautiful weather in South Louisiana. <laughs> this so is, uh, I, I don't, I, yeah, like this weather, man. I don't, I thought that I had a leak underneath my carport last week because the humidity was so overwhelming. I'm serious. I walked. I think I told you that. I walked outside one morning last week and I slipped in my driveway because it was so wet. And it was like, where is? Did someone leave a hose on? No, it's just, just the humidity in December. Yeah, it's, it's nuts, man. Mm-hmm. Nuts. But um, I got a question for you. Just there's been some kind of um, differing opinions on uh, one of the players on my Cowboys, Micah Parsons. So I want to get uh, an objective opinion. You know, is I don't know how much you've watched him play outside of obviously when we played you guys, but the defensive rookie of the year is pretty much locked up. That's that's a given. And the only other player besides Micah to win the defensive player of the year in their rookie year besides the him, freak, Lawrence right? Taylor. Oh, I thought right. I thought it was Javon Curse. So LT did it. Well, yeah, that makes sense. That makes L- sense. LT did it in 1981, I believe. Okay. And um, 
they went back, and I don't know if they calculated sacks then, but I think people have went back and looked at all the games, and Lawrence Taylor had nine and a half sacks. So when you look around the NFL, obviously there's Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt. I mean, even his teammate, Trayvon Diggs, could make a case, you know, if he gets a couple more interceptions. What's your thoughts on this guy uh, as a player and possibly winning the defensive player of the year, not just the rookie of the year? Well, I mentioned it uh, earlier this hour. I think he I, – I, I said it. I think right now he is the front runner for defensive player of the year. Um, oh, okay. He's – like, it's not even – I mean – he does everything at the linebacker spot. Everything. He's not like just a, an edge rusher. I mean, the guy is the focal point of the Cowboys defense. And getting him at number 12 overall. Whew. I mean, you mentioned Trayvon Diggs, TJ White. I mean, my, look, Miles Garrett is, is, is certainly in the mix. Um, he's really, really good. And they like to give it to Patriot DB sometimes. Stephon Gilmore won it. Uh, in 2019, and this J.C. Jackson guy, you know, he's got, I think, seven interceptions right now, and if New England keeps winning, he'll certainly be in the mix as well. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think of all of those, when you look at those names, I mean, T.J. Watt's got 16 sacks, but I, I, I think if the Cowboys keep winning, Micah Parsons, and, and being on the Cowboys certainly brings an extra level of exposure I think he's got a great chance to win it all. And if he did win it over Garrett or Watt, uh, I don't necessarily think it would be... Um, I don't know. I don't think there would be any controversy there. I mean, I think you could go... As of now, I think you could go with one of those three guys. No disrespect to J.C. Jackson or Trayvon Diggs. But I think you could go with any of those three. And I don't think every... I mean, look, their fan bases would be like, it should have been this guy. But right now, I yeah, think yeah, I, I think Mike is... You know, I think he's just a slight notch above those guys. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you got what? The Giants on the schedule. You got the Washington football team on the schedule for the Cowboys. So talk about, you know, bolstering his case here. He's going to have some opponents he gets to feast on. And I think he's got well, a really good to chance to win. Arizona also... And if he can shine against an Arizona Cardinals team that's the number one overall seed, which, look, I know that's going to be a tough game for my team, but, you know, uh, with this, it's going to be a hell of a matchup to watch his speed against their quarterback. They got to flex that, too. They got, the they got to flex that and put that on Sunday night. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's He's got a good chance with this schedule a number of opportunities to keep climbing it, and, and I, I absolutely think he's in the mix for defensive player. I, I got one more question for you, and then I'll um, I'll hang up and listen to your answer. We're talking about defensive player of the year and and things like that. What in, in today's football? How hard is it, and what are the you know what are the chances, or what does a defensive player have to do? to win the MVP because of the quarterbacks and the ridiculous numbers that quarterbacks are going to continue to put up. And what, what would, if you were a voter, what would it take for you to vote for a defensive player over a quarterback? And have a great rest of your week, my friend. Thank you. I think the – honestly, like, I, I don't think we're ever going to see it. Um, it would take a media campaign for one – you need to have a year where, like, no one's doing anything offensively. No one, I say no one's doing anything. That's an extreme. Where there's no one doing anything of, like, note. 
that stands out. But the way the league has changed and evolved and the way offenses are able to to just... The rules that have evolved over the last couple of decades have put things in place for the offenses to have more success. And so I don't think you're ever going to see a defensive player. So you, you, would, you would need a media campaign for one of why not this year? And it should be a media, and it should be this, and it should be that. I mean, does anyone listening know the last time a defensive player won MVP? Caller just brought him up. It was Lawrence Taylor. It was 1986. But that was a different time. It was a totally different time. Totally different time. I mean, it, it, I, I, again, fair or not, I mean, you know how dominant Aaron Donald's been the last couple of years? I know he's been the defensive player of the year multiple times, I think three of the last four years. But it's a different time. 1982, the strangest season ever. Yeah, it was a nine-game strike-shortened season. The MVP was a kicker. I mean, you can laugh all you want. It happened. It was a different time. It was a different time. Look at your defensive player of the years as of late. Aaron Donald's won three of the last four. Khalil Mack won one. J.J. Watt won, a, I think, three. Luke Keekley, Terrell Suggs, Troy Palomalu, Charles Woodson, James Harrison, Bob Sanders, Jason Taylor, Brian Erlacher, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Derek Brooks, Michael Strahan. Those are your defensive MVPs, your AP Defensive Player of the Years over the last 20 years. And at one time, did any of those guys come close to winning an MVP? And I went back just the beginning of this century, and the game's changed a ton since then. So what will it take? I mean, I, I think it would take the league changing and evolving and implementing more defensive rules, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. I mean, you want me to imagine the impossible. Well, we'd probably take a DB that has like 20 interceptions and also happens to be this incredible return specialist that scores multiple touchdowns on special teams and then has a package of plays offensively and goes in and scores sometimes on that. They had a guy like that. His name was Deion Sanders. He was never even the defensive player of the year his entire career. So how is he ever going to win an MVP? It it will never happen. Nine times out of ten, or shoot, nine times out of ten. Yeah, let's say nine times out of ten, it's going to be a quarterback. And the one exception on those years where it's not a quarterback, it's probably going to be a running back. But we're I think we're getting to a point now where it's, you know, it's just a running back every year. There's never going to be a defensive MVP. There's just not. Two six nine ten seventy seven three three seven two six nine ten seventy seven. Head back to the phone lines. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Uh, who was the nineteen ninety four defensive player of the year? Um, Sanders, I think right? it was it was Deion Sanders. Yeah. 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 He. Uh, yeah, because he was dominant that year. He even played a whole year. Yeah. And that was that was crazy. It, it was. So you're right. 
He won one. I missed that year. That was in 94, so he won at one time. Now, how much was he doing that year offensively? I don't remember. Did he do a bunch of stuff for the Niners no, offensively no, he, that year? No, he didn't do uh, – I think, I think he returned a lot of picks for uh, touchdowns. I mean, he was he like was he was awesome. That was his only year in San Francisco. Uh, I think he yeah. had all right. Let me I, now. Now you got me curious. Now I got to look it up. But I, I think it was probably the year impact man. The, the years he yeah. had in Dallas, where he was doing like a couple of offensive plays and returning kicks all the time. Yeah, it felt like those were even better. Like the fact that he didn't get a defensive MVP in there. All right, now I've got it. So in San Francisco in '94, he had. Six interceptions, three of them returned for touchdowns. Yeah, and I think he only played, what, like 12 games? Was this something? He, didn't he play? played in 14 games and he started 12. Man, I'm surprised okay. he won it. So the one year he won it, I don't All right, I'm surprised. I, I didn't even remember that he won one that year. I remember him breaking one on the Saints that year. Well, you know, he probably wasn't the only yeah, one. Yeah, late, late Saints. Uh, as a matter of fact, Saints was dominating that game. They, excuse me, they were dominating hey, why that are game. You, why are you bringing um, these things up right now? Put me in a hey, speaking of that, man, um, and I'm glad you mentioned because I sent I sent you a text, a text. I sent you an email about uh, Lawrence Taylor winning the um, MVP, and, and you made a good point. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't I didn't think about it. That Donald, look how dominant Donald Aaron Donald's been, and he's not even sniffing the MVP award some of the seasons. Yeah, so that's, you're right. And then, and then they'll it. do a poll next year or next year. The last couple of years, they'll do a poll to begin the season. Who's the best overall football player? And all the GMs will vote, and they'll all say Aaron Donald. And it's like, well, I guess MVP means something else because it does. Yeah. But look, man, uh, great Saints Victor. I, I, I didn't watch it, man. I had a, a wild night the night before. and um, You all right? When I try to get up, man, my you know, I, didn't have a, I don't have headache uh, hangovers. It's just my, I just have body, man. Like my body. <laughs> so I had to uh, had to bounce back, but I did listen to it on the radio. Um, and also, I can't dance. Look, you have a good one, and uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Last phone call before we get out of here this morning. Good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Well, that was interesting. What's going uh, on, man? You, you know it's rough when you can't get up at noon and watch a game. Hey. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a bad night. Anyway, uh, so uh, the, the reason why nobody is, is going to ever win MVP in the NFL from the defensive side of the ball is, is what you're saying, but it, 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 it's like this. They don't put any value on the defense. The league doesn't value defensive players. So when you don't value defensive players, it's kind of hard to win most valuable player. And just like you said, you got guys like Aaron Donald that have been dominating football players that had, that without them, their team has had massive drop-offs in their ability to win football game. Or like you said, Brian Erlacher, who, who helped lead his team to the Super Bowl uh, one year. These guys, they're, they're not valued by the league and by what the league wants to do. Yep. And it's a shame, but it's a fact. Have yep. a good one later. Thank you. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. Pat Swilly, 1991, deep AP Defensive Player of the Year. God, he was incredible that season. The sack machine. 
Nobody was looking at the Saints Dome Patrol. This is in the early 90s when defense was still put at a premium by the media and the fans. I was like, oh, yeah, MVP. Deion Sanders, 94, his one defensive MVP. Jay corrected me on it. I didn't even remember him ever winning one. He won one. There's one season in San Francisco. Statistically, not even close to his best season. The Bills. Bills had multiple winners. So did the Ravens. None of those guys were coming close to sniffing it. That's not to say that Aaron Donald or... When it comes to threat gauging and ISO 17025. Or... Luke Keekley or Troy Palomalu were not appreciated by the league, but they weren't appreciated to the level they should have been. Because when you have an award that's supposed to be the most prestigious in sports and you basically, whether you want to admit it or not, completely leave out one side of the ball, you're not appreciating greatness. You're not. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. That's going to do it for me. And the great Scott Show. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks to Coach Michael Desimo for joining me in the 7 o'clock hour. To the calls we got uh, from Tennessee and Jay and Kyle. To the emails. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Should have conversations with Coach Gary Broadhead, Coach Bob Marlin, Jay Walker will be in studio. Ralph Malbro is supposed to be on with me tomorrow as well. We'll talk a little Saints. Got a lot in store for you this week. Looking forward to it. Spend every morning right here with me. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.